and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and it's the Blackpool head coach job to the Aston Villa assistant manager's job. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Wow, Justin, you sound really, really deep today. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I have a throat infection or maybe even tonsillitis. But remember, we were, the, we were here this time last year and it was COVID. Hopefully it's not this time. I've taken a test mm. and it's negative. So fingers crossed it oh. isn't. But oh, I'm all good. I'm all, I can't go high pitch. That's a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Before, <laughs> I remember a few months ago when you sounded like Barry White. Now you sound a bit more like Darth Vader. I'll take that. It's, it's in theme at the moment with Obi-Wan coming out. And I guess if I, know, I put a mask on, I could get away with it. It's, it's a fictional character, so people will realise it's not real. I um, Before we started recording, Justin, we were slightly late to record because I actually had a nosebleed, which is a, a bit of a throwback itself. I thought um, I, I thought I was uh, being cursed by Vecna for a, a bit of a Stranger Things reference there. Um, but yeah, look at us, the walking wounded, Justin. Uh, yeah, going to be a very interesting Play some show. Kate Bush, you'll be all right. Yeah, just uh, walking up that hill and then make a deal with God, what have you. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Second Tier Podcast. Uh, thank you for listening wherever you are. Um, so what we're going to do today, ladies and gentlemen, is look back on our terrible Championship League table predictions from the start of the season. Uh, we're going to go through them all and just have a good reaction to them and look back at how disastrous each one of them was. Um so, yeah, let, let's um, jump right into it, Justin. Uh, we'll start off with the bottom three, shall we? So, we went with Derby at the bottom and Blackpool, then Coventry, which Derby, okay. I think everyone had Derby sat bottom of the table, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, Blackpool and Coventry, uh, not great. <laughs> it wasn't great, was it? I think with, with Blackpool, it was the uncertainty of it. Other team coming up from League One, coming up via the playoffs, they're always in a slightly weaker position than the teams that come up automatically. But credit to Neil Critchley, well, I shouldn't give him too much praise actually, but but credit to him for getting a lot out of um, a lot out of that Blackpool team last season because they were really really good. They were exciting to watch. They played some really good football. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one to put your finger on. I, I didn't expect them to do so well or to settle so quickly into the championship. I think it's because they had a small budget as well, yeah. didn't they, compared to the others. And the signings they made, there weren't any there who were particularly inspiring, but mm. ended up being really good. And Coventry, they didn't really pull up many trees in the transfer market last summer either. They brought yeah. in Victor Jokeres, who, of course, ended up being one of the best strikers in the championship last season. Mm. Who saw that coming? Um, but apart from that, who else did they sign? I can't really remember too many off the top of my head. They brought in Martin yeah. Wackhorn, didn't they? But he didn't really do much. <laughs> well, exactly. Simon Moore was a, was a good pickup, but he was second and third choice at Sheffield United. So he can be forgiven for thinking he might not be as consistent as he was. But yeah, that, I think that was the thinking behind Coventry is the fact they didn't improve upon their team that, I wouldn't say narrowly avoided relegation the season before, but we're in a relegation fight up until two or three games before the end of the season. So yeah, them, them not improving the team too much. That was the thinking behind Coventry City last season. And actually, they are, they're a team definitely on the up because the, some of the football that they played with the squad that they've got, they're in a position now where they only need to make subtle improvements to push them up to another level. Yeah, of course, definitely. And as we've said, well, I've said multiple times, they are treading a similar path to what Luton have done over the past couple of seasons. So they're on the right track. Um, but there's no doubt that we completely got it wrong with our bottom three there, didn't we? <laughs> um, 
I think I think quite a few people would have had Blackpool in the bottom three. To be fair, yeah. I I can't remember what everyone had. Um, as I sit here right now, um, Coventry. I, I think one of the reasons we put Coventry in there was because we weren't one hundred percent sure on who else to put in the bottom three. But I remember speaking to Jerry from. Um, the Neil Lamptey podcast, which is a commentary podcast, and he was saying he'd be happy for them to stay up this season. Um, and they ended up finishing in the top half. So there you go. Um, I look back on it now, and it, it was obviously a poor shout from us, but I think certain sections of those fan bases wouldn't have been surprised if they did go down, even though yeah. very, very clearly nowhere near in a relegation battle in the end. Um just having a quick look ahead to your bottom three for next season, Justin. Have you got uh, any teams in mind? <laughs> um, I'm thinking Birmingham City at the moment, definitely. Um, they're they're going to they're gonna struggle and it might be the season they finally, they finally catches up with them. And the same with Reading as well. I don't think they're going to be too inspiring next season, shall we say. But <clears throat> there's still a lot of time to bring in, to bring in players as well. Um, I think those two are certain. I think the other place... At the moment, is still up in the air. They could be one of Rotherham. Um, I can't remember who's come up now. <laughs> this is not good. Wigan. Uh, yeah, Rotherham, Wigan. Um, but actually, those three teams in Sunderland are looking a lot stronger than a lot of Championship teams at the moment. I I don't think you can say Reading and Birmingham asserts. I, I think that's a bit of a stretch, just in considering okay. we've still got nearly a year until it's at the end of next season. Um, but I think I'd put down Reading and Birmingham and Rotherham as my bottom three right now. Obviously, it's very early days and a lot can change in that time. But Reading and Birmingham just seem like two clubs who are on the decline very rapidly and are in very perilous situations themselves right now. Yeah. Um, and the manager's situations are both a bit uncertain at both clubs. And Rotherham, I've just put in there because boing, this boing. isn't... This isn't going to be, you know, our predictions confirmed for when we actually mm-hmm. do our league table predictions. We look at Rotherham now and they've got that ridiculous record, haven't they, where they've yeah. either finished in the bottom four of the championship or the top four of League One for something like the past eight years now. Mm-hmm. They are the Norwich of League One, aren't they? <laughs> um, and unless they do really well in the recruitment um, side of things this summer, then... I can't see that changing, but we're saying this before. They've got a summer's worth of recruitment, and I yeah. do rate Paul Warner as a manager. So they've definitely got a chance of staying up. It's just um, it's going to take a good old effort for them to get there. Let's move on, Justin. So just outside the relegation zone, we had Huddersfield, Eek, Hull, Preston, Blackburn, and Bristol City. Huddersfield, the obvious one there, aren't they? Um, to be honest, did we really see anything in the summer that was indicating that they were going to push? For automatic promotion? <laughs> Not really, no. I think the signings they made, you know, Tom Lees, for example, I didn't expect Tom Lees to have the season he had. It's been an absolute revelation. The same with Lee Nichols, second choice at MK Dons, gets brought in to compete with Ryan Schofield. They, they weren't signings that a top six, a, t- a team pushing for the top six would, would usually make. But actually, you know, I don't think we look at it at the same, the same outlook as... A, a, a recruitment department will make, for example. And I think a lot of championship pundits and supporters alike would have put Huddersfield in and around the relegation zone as well. I think they did, actually. Um, <clears throat> I think Carlos Cobram was one of the favourites to get sacked early on in the season as well. Um, so that just goes to show how well Huddersfield have, have transformed 
and how good a coach Cole Brennan is as well. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think any, I don't think even the most optimistic Huddersfield fan in their league table predictions would have put them even in the top half, let alone <laughs> anywhere near the playoffs. So I don't think we were particularly being harsh with them there. I think it was just a, a fact that it was difficult to see them having much of a drastic improvement on the mm-hmm. season that they had prior. Um, but that just goes to show how good a job Carlos Corbran has done. And that's why I put him down as the second best manager in the championship last season behind Steve Cooper because of Steve Cooper's ridiculous heroics. Um, who else we got down there? We got Hull. I think they pretty much finished around 20th, didn't 19th, they? 19th. 19th. Preston did slightly better, didn't they? They had Frankie McAvoy when we made the predictions and he wasn't particularly inspiring, was he? As he mm-hmm. went on to prove. Blackburn went on to do a lot better than we expected, didn't they? Again, a lot of Blackburn fans would have had them around sort of 18th, 19th. Um, so again, they're a team that did well. Losing Adam Armstrong, didn't expect Ben Brereton Diaz to, or Ben, sorry, Ben Brereton at the time, didn't expect him to come back from Chile and turn into one of the best South American imports the championship has ever seen. Um, and and as well as that, they just, they look like a, a really well-oiled machine and as well a Something that goes unnoticed is, is the change in style of play that Mowbray put in. They were they sat a bit deeper, played a little bit more direct, a little bit more high pressing at times. Whereas last the season before they were a possession based team and it didn't really work for them. So for them to be more direct, more aggressive, that put, certainly worked in their favour. And finally, in seventeenth place, we had Bristol City, who I believe I'm right in saying are the only team we got absolutely spot on, um, which is interesting because I think I actually had them in my personal league table for closure. We make different league tables and then kind of merge them together. Um, I had Bristol City nearer to the relegation zone, and I think you had them slightly above seventeenth. So we had a happy medium there, Justin, and that's ultimately <laughs> where they just ended up. Um, moving ahead, then we had Swansea in sixteenth. Birmingham 15th, Reading 14th, and then the one which raised eyebrows <laughs> at the start of the season and has got to be fingers pointed squarely at Justin Peach, Peterborough in 13th. Um, Swansea 16th, yeah, fair enough. They finished pretty much mid-table anyway, didn't 15th, they? Yeah. Um, Birmingham, very close to the relegation zone, didn't they? And I think... I think we were feeling quite positive about Lee Bowyer at the start of the season, weren't they? And they also made some good signings as well. But they did. Oh, there was a lot of um, a lot of those good signings that we mentioned getting injured, weren't they? And that ultimately mm-hmm. just led to them having the bang average season that they've had, and that's ultimately why we're a bit worried about them heading into next season, Justin. Yeah, it's the same old formula that Birmingham City go through every season, where they have a really good start. They get to the end of October, and it's like. We're looking solid. We're taking our chances. And then things start to go wrong, whether that be injuries, um, <laughs> certain players not settling in, um, you know, in, in, um, in-house arguments or whatever whatever the phrase is. Things just start to go wrong for Birmingham City and fans start to get on their team's back. And obviously there's been all the off-field issues as well. So I think they they, they would have been good sort of for, for, for a mid-table, lower mid-table finished last season had it not been for those factors but that's football and unfortunately they are where they are once again and I can't see it improving unless there's a takeover that's the only way it improves for Birmingham City is that the uh, the current owners are out yeah definitely I definitely can't see myself having Birmingham any higher than 19th place in our league table predictions coming up um, then we had Reading in 14th which 
in hindsight may look like a bad call, but I remember saying in our league table predictions at the start of the season that I think Reading were the most difficult to predict side because there was a lot of factors in play, weren't they, in terms Mm -hmm. of... They got. They were just outside the playoffs the season before, but then a lot of turnover players being injured, uh, a lot of coming and throwing behind the scenes. Um, so fourteenth, I, I don't think that was outrageously wrong on our behalf. No, and you look at the squad as well. Um, the, the squad is is good enough for around that place, um, which is why I think I said in last week's episode that Reading, are, you know, they're on the same progression as the likes of. Derby and Sheffield Wednesday and, and, and what have you. Um, and they're in a position... They had John Swift, for example, who had one of the best seasons um, a number 10 has had in the championship. They they had Lucas Shaw in the second half of the season, Yakimete as well. They had a really good group of players and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Um, and again, that, that that is just how the championship works. It just eats you alive. Whatever your circumstances, and unfortunately, it went against Reading and... They were they were looking over the shoulder perilously for a long, long time. Yeah. And then finally, Justin, before we have a little break, Peterborough in 13th. Yeah. You need to do some serious explaining here, my good boy. I don't, because this is all this is all on Darren Ferguson. I'm, oh, get out of here. I'm <laughs> pointing the finger at Darren Ferguson. Look, defensively, Peterborough weren't weren't as bad as they have been this season. They weren't that they weren't the numbers I'll check them out. If you want to go back to last season's episode and 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 go through the preseason predictions again, I, I give a good, really good rationale of why Peterborough should be good for a mid-table finish. Unfortunately, Darren Ferguson is the anomaly for Peterborough, and if you look at what Grant McCann's got out of that team, that is exactly what I expected from Peterborough this season. And I'm sure if Grant McCann was in charge, he would have delivered a similar position in charge from the start of the season. That is. Not sure. I completely agree <laughs> with that, Justin. Um, I think one thing I'm definitely going to be doing in terms of my league table predictions for next season is looking at the man who's in the dugout because he's ultimately the most important person when it comes to where a team's going to finish. And uh, anyone who's listened to the podcast over the season knows that I'm not a massive fan of Darren Ferguson. Um, And I always thought he wasn't a great manager at this level and he didn't really do much to prove me wrong so I think this is kind of a lesson of that if you don't particularly rate the manager but you think the squad's good then you've got to have them lower down than you normally would in mm-hmm. your league table okay that's just how I see it and I think uh, Peterborough a good lesson for us in the future when we do our league table predictions Justin uh, let's have a quick break after that we'll talk about the top half of our championship predictions to the second tier podcast we're doing our league table predictions reactions um because it, it, it was a disaster um let's go to speaking of disasters let's go to 12th which was barnsley um in fact let's just quickly round up the kind of teams outside the playoffs so we had barnsley millwall luton borough and forest oh and stoke so barnsley 12th millwall 11th luton 10th middlesbrough 9th Forest 8th and Stoke 7th. 
Barnsley were another team who were very hard to predict, weren't they? Of course, mm-hmm. in hindsight, them being in mid-table looks like a disastrous call because they comfortably finished bottom in the end. But I don't think anyone, from my recollection, had them to finish in the bottom three. Yeah. I remember Jimmy the Punt, who I do the betting podcast with, actually tipped Barnsley to be relegated and got dog's abuse for it. But in the end, was obviously proven right. A lot of people were really struggling to pinpoint Barnsley in their predictions. In fact, I remember uh, our friend Gab Sutton. He actually had Barnsley to finish in the top two. Um, he won't thank me for bringing it up, but he had Barnsley to finish in his top two in his league table predictions. So <laughs> Barnsley were another side who were very difficult to nail down, weren't they, at the start of the season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's... They, I mean, I'm still frustrated now, and it, again, it probably serves as a bit of a lesson for us when we come to do our predictions again, is if it's chaos off the pitch for a football club, then it's certainly not going to help things on the it, pitch. It didn't really if, seem exactly. that chaotic, I yeah. don't think, at the start of the season. It, yeah. In hindsight, it looked chaotic, but it was like, oh, there's a bit of turnover behind the scenes. Not great, but it's not an absolute disaster yeah. behind the scenes. But when you consider the fact that Dane Murphy left... And they didn't, I think it was Paul Conway came in as the interim CEO. It's not, it's not particularly great. And, and we, we're not as clued up about boardroom people as we are football staff. Um, but it, it, it does serve as a bit of an indication, I think. And, and, that, and that's obviously why it went wrong for Barnsley. They did not replace anybody. They did not replace Dane Murphy. They did not replace Valerie Ishmael. They didn't replace Darrell DK. Um, and and they, they, they were relegated for it. Their recruitment was terrible. Um and they they were unfortunate with injuries. Obviously, Corley Woodrow being injured halfway through the season isn't helpful at all. Um, Carlton Morris being in and outside of injuries as well is not is not helpful. Uh, Mads Anderson was injured for for portions of the season as well. Yeah, that's that is where they were. Obviously, didn't replace Alex Mauer either, which was a huge huge problem. Um, and Marcus Shot was a disaster. It's simple. Yeah. Well, the players they brought in, they did bring out quite a few players, didn't they? But just none of them worked. And I th- my thinking was that Barnsley's recruitment has been good in the past and I, I supposedly blindedly just expected it to be good again. Um, but it obviously wasn't. And that's the main reason why Barnsley have gone down. And it's another reason why I struggled to see them bouncing back at the first time of asking in League One. Millwall, 11th, fair enough. Pretty much where everyone put them, I suppose. Uh, Luton 10th. I actually had Luton 7th, I think, in my league table predictions, Justin. You had them about 12th, and you really cost us. Yes, I apologise greatly to the the folks of Luton Town, and of course to you, Ryan, for ruining... Mainly to me. (laughs) I mean, they finished 6th, so you were were out of it a little bit. Um... By what? (laughs) To be fair, if we, if we get it within one, we've done a very good job. If we get it within six, we've also done a very good job. Um, but yeah, I think with Luton, they they far out they far outperform their expectations, their budget. It's been an incredible season for them, and they're a club on the up. I wouldn't be surprised to see them, as I've said before, competing to get into the top six again. Yeah, I remember. I was just thinking that Luton had been in this constant progression where they finished higher than the season before for God knows how long, apart from one season. And I thought they were going to do it again. Um, I thought the playoffs would have been a bit of a stretch, but I wouldn't have been too surprised. And they managed to do it. And that's just going to show what a marvellous job Nathan Jones has done. Middlesbrough ninth, Yeah, fair enough. Forest 8th. 
Uh, Forrest were one of those sides, weren't they, who I think were a bit interchangeable in many people's top six or just outside the top six. Obviously, after yeah. the, the disastrous start to the season they had, it looked like that was uh, going to prove to be a disastrous call from anyone. But eighth, um, did I have them in my top six? You may have. I can't I may have. I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, Forest eighth, fair enough, isn't it? Well, yeah, I think we said that. I think for me, any team that is 10th and above is a competitor for the playoffs. And I think that's something that will be reiterated. So if we do predict your team to finish 10th, that is not ruling them out of a playoff finish. They will be in with a shout. It's just whether or not they've got the consistency to do it. But with Forest, as you say, 8th place, they had a playoff squad this time last year. It was just getting the right formula in place and the right um, additions in place to, to knit it all together and up until up until January, probably Forrest maybe would have finished outside the playoffs, but then they added Sam Surridge, Keenan Davis, um, Steve Cook, and that brought everything together from a playing side and gave them the necessary momentum they needed. They were an unstoppable train in the second half of the season, and that showed. I just checked my individual league table. I had Forrest eighth, and that must mean you must have had them pretty much around there as well. So... Um... They outdid even our expectations at the start of the season, Justin. Stoke seventh, obviously in hindsight, ended up being very incorrect, but just goes to show what you were saying in our last episode, Justin, that Stoke have a good habit of giving everyone high expectations at the start of the season and really, really disappointing. This is why I'm bemused as to the fact that Michael O'Neill is still in a job at the Bet365 Stadium, but... I mean, he's going to be one of those managers that are going to be under pressure in the first, I don't know, month or month or two months of next season, um, because they've got, they've got to be a team that are competing in that top six for him to justify keeping his job. Um, and as you say, a 14th place finish with the squad that they have. I know they had injuries. That is something that needs to be considered. I know they had injuries, but they still had a good enough squad to finish higher. If you look at who finished above them this season, Coventry, QPR, Preston, Stoke had better squads than those teams, and that's not me being facetious. They had better squads. No, that's absolutely fair. But as I always say, injuries, Justin. Injuries. <laughs> uh, let's go to our top six then. I completely forgot we put this team sixth, Justin. Cardiff City. Um, <laughs> bloody hell. I think... I know we've got Huddersfield in 21st, but they, that might be the worst call we did in our league table predictions. Yes. It was It was just the Mick McCarthy factor that probably dragged it over the line in the fact that they had a Mick McCarthy team along with Kiefer Moore. It was perfect. It was perfect. And they did so well with McCarthy exactly. in charge the season before, didn't they? And exactly. usually when a team finishes the season well, it carries on into next season, but... It just didn't, did it? But you mentioned Kiefer Moore. They also had, you know, Sean Morrison. Um, Aidan Flint was in good form. Um, all these players, all these experienced players that they've had for a number of years, they just dropped down a level, didn't they? Yeah, 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 exactly. And dropped down a level, dropped down two or three levels. They were appalling. Um, wasn't helped. I think Obviously, we do our predictions as well before the transfer window ends. So whenever we do predictions, we are banking on them, adding a couple of more players. And Cardiff just seemed to completely ignore the fact that they had one creative player in their team, and that was Ryan Giles, and he was on loan. 
Um, had they have added one or two more, it could have been a different season because that's all that was missing for me from Cardiff is their ability to create chances. And they just they didn't do enough. They relied too heavily on set pieces again and it caught up with them. And I was also expecting Ruben Colwell to step up as well and mm. maybe it was just a season too soon for him. Hopefully this is the season that that happens. Um, but yeah, I, I, that seems like such a calamitous call from us now. Um, and now I look at Cardiff and I'm not sure where I'd put them in my lead table predictions next season. I'm, I'm thinking, looking towards the bottom three again, um, but whether a certain Welshman, actually two certain <laughs> Welshmen, decide to move there yeah. uh, will obviously change quite a lot, won't it? We had QPR in fifth, which was a popular call for many, wasn't it? Even though they ended up being nowhere near the top six in the end. Well, they, they were good for a top five place or top six place right up until the 40th game, 41st game of the season, um, even with their poor form. But yeah, they again, they had a squad that was good enough. Um, and as you said, everybody was tipping QPR to finish in the playoffs. They weren't really a dark, they were a dark horse, but they weren't a dark horse because everybody fancied them to finish in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, carrying on from their form from the previous season um, was really good going into this season. It, it, it seemed like it was their time to, to go again. Um, but unfortunately, as you say, the, the form in the second half of the season was, was dreadful. Or not, the form from January onwards was was just terrible and that, that cost them a place in the top six and ultimately finished nine points off, which is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, and then finally our top four was Bournemouth in fourth, Sheffield United in third, Fulham second, West Brom top of the table. Obviously, West Brom in hindsight looks really bad, doesn't it? And But I, I still stand by that at the start of the season, they looked like the team most likely to do it. Fulham, it's got to be remembered, it wasn't sure whether Mitrovic was going to be staying with them. Um, yeah. Marco Silva, there are a couple of question marks of, over him as a manager, particularly from you, Justin. <laughs> um, but in the end, I don't think <clears throat> us having West Brom finish top of the tables uh, disgraceful call no I mean they had one of the best defences in the league anyway and going forwards they underperformed their attack by what did they top the XG charts last season no they were behind Fulham but they were on a kind of similar pedestal so they had a similar defensive record to Fulham and they were creating as many good goal scoring chances or almost as many good goal scoring chances as Fulham and they just underperformed in front of goal. That's what cost them. That's what cost Ishmael his job, which is why I'm so surprised that they were very keen to to, to offload him. But obviously, that that's football. Um, yeah, that that is ultimately what cost them is their ability to put chances away. It's, it's quite frightening at how poor and inefficient they were. It was, you know, if you're going to point the finger, the finger's got to be pointed at their attack and their mm. ability to yeah be clinical. Maybe maybe Valerie and Ishmael. And his management of top sides has got to come into question because I feel like he's the kind of manager who does better with a team who doesn't have as talented a set of players. No expectations. Whereas, yeah, kind of. Because when you look at West Brom, for example, they've clearly got a much talented uh, set of players that should be dominating games, but they weren't dominating games, weren't they? Mm. Um and instead, he was still playing the kind of style of play that he was playing at Barnsley the season prior. Um, but then you look at the players 
who came down a division, the likes of, I keep going on about him, but Dean Garner, for example, should have been tearing up the championship last season, but obviously didn't. Um, Callum Robinson was very hit and miss last season, once he, um, Jordan Hugo, I completely forget, was at West Brom last season, but he was awful, quite frankly. Uh, Colin Grant was obviously good, but yeah, it's the forward men you've got to point the mm. finger at. But I, I, you can't, you know, take away some of the flack from the midfielders, the defenders as well. The defenders were good, but they still had the odd moments of calamity in them themselves. And then the midfields didn't really dominate games as well as they should have, should they? Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely spot on. And just going back to the style of play, obviously teams were sitting deep against West Brom, where they might not have done that against Barnsley um, because of the, the quality of opposition. Um, and, and Ishmael didn't adapt to that and he had the squad to do it and he didn't and it, was all, it all came down to that is that ability to adapt his team to to their opposition and as you said they were stubbornly playing the same style of play and players quite rightly were very inconsistent and that's even the likes of Alex Mowat as well they come into the question um, because of consistency but yeah they, they were let down by individuals last season West Brom that from the top of the club to Ishmael to the players I remember looking at Sheffield United at the start of the season with Slavisa Jokanovic in charge, Justin, and getting very excited because I thought, it's Slavisa Jokanovic. The man is brilliant at championship level, wasn't he? But that just completely went to pot very quickly, didn't it? It was it was dreadful. Um, and I do feel for him in, in some aspects, but at the same time, it shouldn't have been an appointment that they made, really. It should have been an appointment where you put a coach in who will play a disciplined style of football that is pressing, that is high tempo at times, but is also probably leaning towards the defensive side of things. Um, and and Jakanovic isn't that isn't that man. He likes to play free-flowing attacking football. And he ended up playing players out of position chronically um, at times. And the club relied too heavily on Billy Sharp, which considering the fact that Ollie McBurney, Ryan Brewster at the club, um, it's it's not quite good enough, and it just it just it came to it came to uh, roost, didn't it? Towards sort of the Christmas time, and Ikanovic was was dismissed, and Heckingbottom came in, and then there was an immediate uplift, which just goes to show it was just the wrong man. Any more thoughts on the rest of the top four that we had? Obviously, Bournemouth were were, were up there, and um, you, you've mentioned Fulham. Who was who was fourth? Did we have fourth? It was Bournemouth. 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 Yeah, and Sheffield United third. I mean, if you take injuries out of it, Sheffield United probably could have pushed for an automatic place. But I think that top four is, is a pretty solid one. And the fact that those teams benefit from parachute payments makes our lives a lot easier when it comes to predicting league tables. But I don't think it's going to be the same this season. I'm not sure. We'll have to wait and see how they do in the transfer market before we can make any official predictions on that, Justin. But here we go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been our league table uh, predictions, reaction, uh, right at the end of the season. Now everything has been said and done. Uh, what we're going to do next, we will be back again on Sunday. I'm, I'm thinking, Justin, what we do is, right, and this is kind of an admin, live on air kind of situation. Um, we react to, you know, transfer news, any managerial movements every Sunday. Um, they're not going to be the longest episodes on earth because there isn't that much happening at the moment um, but we'll do kind of like a championship roundup on a weekly basis with something else on a Thursday what that's going to be not too sure but we'll try and get some content out for you ladies and gentlemen we were considering having a break but you know we, we've been plowing on for 
God knows how long now. We haven't really had a break at any point, have we, Justin? What's a um, break? Exactly, unlike other podcasts. <laughs> but uh, we, we've ploughed on and we may have a break at some point, but for now, you've still got us. So enjoy us while you can. <laughs> uh, this has been the second tier. That sounds a bit ominous, doesn't it? Yes, it this has been the second tier podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Thank you.